Tuning you in now. The all new LBX Daily Show. Brought to you by the LBX Collective. Your community to connect, engage, and inspire. Now, let's get ready to roll. With your hosts, Christine Buer and Brandon Wiley. All right. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. <laughs> it is October 3rd. My gosh, my gosh. Where has this year gone? I know, I know, I know. And uh, just getting closer and closer to IAPA Expo, too. I don't know why I've got like Expo on the brain because been have been a couple different calls today and that, and that kind of stuff tied to, uh, you know, the education session stuff. So anyway, just getting excited for that. We'll, we'll oh talk gosh, more about that as we get closer, but I am so stoked too. Uh, yeah. We're just having so much fun planning our own stuff for that too. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, I guess I'll kick off the rundown with a review of, well, I can't say it's a review. I haven't been there, although I would love to go. Um, it's a place called Cidercade and this is actually their fifth location that they've opened. And uh, they're open just in Arlington, Texas, and they're all sort of in a Dallas-Fort Worth area. They've got a location in Dallas and Fort Worth, Austin and Houston. This is their fifth and largest location. It's 25,000 square feet, and, um, and it is 300 games, 300, well, I say 300 plus games, but 300 plus games. And they have other things as well. So they do have this thing called foot billiards. They have shuffleboard. Look at that. We were talking about shuffleboard a couple shuffleboard. of weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. And he, so here it is. And apologize, it, their website is actually better than that. It just wasn't wide enough. It, they weren't messed up. Um, ping pong and then pool tables. The only thing I thought was a little bit weird, I'll say real quick about ping pong, is that there was no place for me to put my, there's no place in here for me to put my my drink. I mean, maybe on this little stand back here, but there's not like little tables on the side where shuffleboard, football yards there is in these cages, but there's ping pong like somehow missing that. I don't know why. Um, so anyway. Um, but you look at the the space and it's uh it's it's you know pretty cool like kind of like sort of industrial esque mm -hmm. warehouse space lots of retro games but also current games you know air hockey um, some cool uh, you know battle battle royale Pac Man and um, and and then they have some party rooms as well so they do have kid friendly activities and it's but they at, after eight o'clock it's twenty one and up. And from a pricing and packaging standpoint, what I you know thought was interesting here was that they have it's twelve dollars for limited play. You come in, and obviously they're banking to make their revenue, the real revenue and high margin revenue on their, um, you know, on their their cider, which everything that they serve for them, their alcohol menu is all made in house, so it is mm -hmm. their cider. And uh, but then they but then they have that twenty dollar a month membership, so I can actually pay twenty dollars a month do the membership, which is just under two, uh, two visits, you know, basically, and I can get a month, uh, monthly membership. So if I'm coming more than twice, or even if I'm just coming twice a month, I'm getting value out of that membership. And, um, hopefully they're doing a good job and in, in encouraging their front counter people to drive upsells into those memberships. I mean, that's really the goal there is to say, Hey, you know, if you're planning to come back in later this month, just, just get you going on a membership and, uh, you know, you're going to save some money, which, you know, we all know people don't ultimately when they come back in, if they're, unless they're really abusing it. Right. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I think it's a good strategy. I think um, I like, I like the way that they've structured their membership, you know, with the visits and stuff like that. It makes a lot of sense. And then, so I was going to ask the ciders, are they all alcoholic or are they non-alcoholic? There's a mix of both here. Like, yeah, they're, they're all primarily alcoholic. Um, they do have a, a like a small non-alcoholic menu and then they do have um, soft drinks available. It's like your classic soft okay. drinks. So they have, they have kid drinks as well, but no, their ciders are all meant for adults. 
So, I mean, it's a classic barcade. There's nothing super special about it other than the fact that it's their own custom cider. And then I liked the membership model. Yeah. I'm so curious to know the story about how they got started. Like, I almost wonder, was there like somebody there that was collecting those retro arcade games and like, oh, I have to share these with the public and let's throw some cider in because they're already doing it. You know, like where did the whole concept come from? I love just to get into the ideas behind stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It'd be cool to, to, to talk with them about that. Yes. Yes. Well, speaking of people coming up with crazy ideas, um, did you know that there's a ton of secret tunnels under London, England? So apparently now, okay, obviously in London, there's the underground, which is their metro system, right? Um, And they have their whole sewer system under there. But apparently there's another network that is soon to be a new tourist attraction. So Angus Murray, um, he's a banker and formal financial executive. He signed a new deal with the city uh, to buy out 130 feet uh, below the surface 86,000 square feet worth of tunnel that was created by the British government as bomb shelters back in 1941 and 42. Um, So they created these towards the end of World War II when most of the bombing had pretty much stopped, but they still utilized those bomb shelters and those tunnels later um, when they created the Special Operations Executive, so the SOE, which was a World War II era espionage organization that was actually inspired or it inspired the world of James Bond. So if you are a James Bond fan, you will remember this, you know, the Q branch or the Q division um, where James Bond would go and he would get all the cool funky war weapons and tools. Well, I guess this was the area where they actually created and designed these tools for a long period of time. And actually something I learned from my research was like, what I thought was really super interesting is that Ian Fleming, who wrote all the James Bond's books, he was actually a liaison officer to the SOE during his intelligence career, which totally makes so much sense now that he would have all this information and be writing his books all based on his experience, right? Now, later, the Cold War... Um, in, during the Cold War, these tunnels were also used uh, for communications, including the hotline that connected leaders from the United States and the Soviet Union. So tons of really cool history down there, right? Um, and they look pretty neat. So here, I'll, I'll bring up a picture of them. This is um, actually a bar that was created in one of the tunnels back in the day. R- really kind of neat. Like, talk about a total bespoke little um, place that you might want to go hang out. Hey, Brandon. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it looks it looks like straight out of like the 1940s and, and 50s kind of era of that modern modern you know, feel. Mm-hmm, so, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so this now, this picture, this is what the tunnels currently look like. So you can imagine all this stuff that was going on down there, right? War stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and this is kind of a vision or a kind of a look to what this guy, this uh, Murray guy wants to create. So he's going to create some sort of an immersive blockbuster inspired experience, recreating kind of what it would have been like during the war. Maybe you get to experience it, launch some bombs. I- I'm not really sure. See how they were launched, kind of go through the whole um, experience of it all. Yeah. So that, that's, I, I, yeah, that, that's awesome. It's, it's going to be super cool. And I'm just amazed at, yeah, like <laughs> the, the level of complexity that was burrowed underground inside of, uh, you know, under the, under England and just under London in general, like it's a city built on a city built on a city. It's pretty remarkable. 
For sure. And, you know, it's not the only attraction that actually exists underground in London. So um, currently, I guess there's something called the Mail Rail, which is under the Postal Museum. And it's a 6.5 mile long network that was used to deliver mail um, through the city, which, again, how neat is that? Uh, Then there's also something called the Churchill War Rooms. um, And I'm, yeah, I'm not familiar with those, but that sounds really interesting. I think that would be some neat history to get down there. And then um, Hidden London tours some of these other downtown um, abandoned passageways and does some sort of nifty kind of like uh, event and experience uh, down there. Yeah, that is, uh, that's that's so amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Well, so yeah, do do we know when it's going to be created? So they said it's going to take about four years. Four years. Okay. All right. Well, we got four years to wait and and visit London, I guess. So uh, pretty cool. Uh, all right. Well, another thing that is, uh, we're actually not to wait four years for is Nerf ball. So this is actually mm-hmm. developed by Hasbro. This is a n- entirely new sport. So this is not, um, you know, think about like Nerf has opened up recently and we've talked about a few of them a, a couple of times. Um, they have opened up actual like Nerf gun battles, like battle rooms, sort of like, you know, laser tag, but with Nerf guns, this is that, but also like it's a blend they say between soccer uh, nerf like laser tag and like Quidditch. And you basically can, you take a nerf ball and you're trying to get it through some goals, but then you have people guarding with guns and there's certain things. And I'll, I'll talk through the rules a little bit here, but I thought better than, you know, me like talking through some of it first, let's, let me just show a little bit about, uh, the gameplay. And then we can talk about some of what's unique here. Here we go. Welcome to Nerf Ball, the official sport of Nerf. Nerf Ball brings a new level of excitement to social active play. I love my team, man. It's paired with the speed and agility of basketball, plus awesome buzzer-beating shots and unbelievable highlight moments. It's a high-performance game that's built by athletes for athletes. This sport requires using a Nerf Blaster and a Nerf Ball Pro Ball along with a rule set that will get your heart rate pumping. It's really exciting. It's fun. It's intense. It's Nerf or not. This is Nerf Ball. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that looks so much fun. It looks like a ton of fun. Yeah, yeah. It looks totally awesome. And um, and the the game, let me see. Hold on. It's uh, my tab is frozen. So um, I was trying to get back to my rules and now it's not going back but uh all right well we'll just close out of that tab and we'll get back into it again but basically they're uh they're like four five minute quarters so it's really fast it's really meant to be um you know like it's meant to be able to drop into a sports arena not a sports arena but like you know sports venues sports facilities like that kind of thing like sports training where you would find pickleball or you would find soccer or whatever you can have a nerf ball arena there as well and um you know it's super as you saw if you were watching the video it's super easy to set up and, you know, you can, um, the layout is basically, uh, let's see here, I'll pull up another picture of it. All right. So this layout, you know, you've got basically the middle zone where you can, um, where the ball is started and you've got your, your hoops on the end. And then you've got your substitution zones. You can swap people out and you have your respawn zones. And so what's important about the respawn is that you actually do get out if you're hit and you have to go back to a respawn zone. And so the question is, well, how do you know you're hit or how do you trust that you're hit? And this is where the technology really comes into play. So Nerf has actually developed a smart suit 
that you wear. And these players for this little demo video were not wearing it, but they but but they have a smart suit that actually has smart foam. It's developed by a, a place out of Utah called Exo Nano, and this um, they actually developed this foam to measure football helmet impacts. So when people are playing American football. And there's the impact that's it's used to measure that impacts. And so they actually um, have the suit now and it lights up red when it's been hit. So it's very clear it's been hit. And, uh, and apparently there's a difference. It knows the difference between you bumping it yourself, you bumping into a wall or you running into somebody else versus the, like the sensitivity is there to where it knows specifically when you've been hit by a dart, even at high velocity versus low velocity dart. Um, and so that changes the whole thing, you know, with regards to this game and and actually being able to follow rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was what I got stuck on for so long with it is just like you have to be a really good um, referee watching so carefully and you're, you're not going to catch them all. Like, it's just impossible. It doesn't matter, you know, and I know there's been lots of obstacles built, like people stand from higher up and they look down or, you know what I mean, having more referees, but the suit is going to make it a million times difference. It, it's going to make the game fair is what's yeah. going to happen. Right. And just that much more fun. That's super well, and, cool. And, and reduce guests, guest dissatisfaction and guest fights mm-hmm. and arguments. And I've played at a couple of nerf nerf venues before and you know, you're playing and like, you, you know, you just, you just have to kind of shrug it off and like say, okay, whatever. If nobody's playing by the rules exactly, but you'll always find that eight year old kid or whatever, who is like never gets hit and he's running around and he's always just shooting everybody and he's getting pelted, but he never takes the time out or goes to the side like he's supposed to. And this just gets rid of all of that. Right. Um, And so super cool. Um, I love that they're developing real technology to be able to infuse this, this um, it's going to change a lot of gameplay, I think both in Nerf arenas, but then also obviously Nerf ball looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, it looks totally fun. And I can see them developing stuff even for the wall. Like, you know, uh, you could have targets on the wall. Maybe you can shoot it with your gun and get get extra points that way, like kind of the capture the flag kind of version of it or something like that. That lots of good stuff for the sports. Now, you know, the one thing I do wonder is what happens to our friends that have these nerf facilities, you know, will they be able to access these vests? Because I can imagine that that will make a big difference on where you would choose to go. So I do hope that those will become available for these other uh, business owners that have started to create Yeah. These. Yeah, I hope so too. Although having, you know, again, a good friend who is, you know, runs one of these facilities, um, Nerf isn't super willing to work alongside them, you know, with regards to branding or support or anything else. And so um, I would be, I wouldn't be surprised actually, especially given the fact that Nerf is opening up their own facilities, that they're not going to be super inclined to license out their, their equipment and their, their technology, which is just too bad because um, there's a difference. There's, there will have to be a difference in gameplay between a facility that's using that, that smart technology and the one that's not. Mm-hmm. I would think so. I mean, at least for the older kids, maybe the younger kids, it won't matter so much if they're not so competitive about it. But if you're talking about getting in competitive leagues and getting really sporty around it, mm-hmm. it'll definitely be yeah, a game changer for sure. Yeah, um, sure. Cool. So speaking of um, wars, so to speak, or fights, <laughs> um, the mini melts versus dipping dots battle is heating up. Now, I, I just I find this so fascinating. Um, obviously, we probably in this industry, we're all familiar with dipping dots and mini melts. Like, and I'm so surprised at how many people don't actually know what it, it is. But um, dipping dots was the product that was first to market. So they were founded in 1988 by Kentucky. Kentucky microbiologist Kurt Jones was his name. Um, He was experimenting with liquid nitrogen to flash freeze animal feed of all things. And he landed on this flash frozen uh, novelty treat of ice cream instead. Um, And just for reference, mini melts didn't start their production until the 1990s. So definitely dipping dots was first to market. Anyway, um, 
his, his, and actually we should probably try to get this guy on the podcast because, um, his venture was nuts. Like he went through a couple bankruptcies, two factory explosions. <laughs> um, it, his sales peaked at $300 million annually. Okay. And this was just his side hustle, like nuts. It was nuts. Now last year, um, dipping dots was acquired by J and J snack foods for $222 million, which is crazy, but they're probably making their money back hand over fist super fast. Right. Um, so, I mean, super cool product. Now what's happening is there was this kid in school and he, um, had this little kind of, uh, he had his little side business where he would distribute dipping dots out to his friends at school and he was making some side cash. And he went to dipping dots and said, Hey, I really want to be a franchisee or distributor for you. Um, but dipping dots was charging such an exorbitant fee to become a franchisee. He's like, I can't handle that. I, I can't pay for that fee. So he crossed the border into Canada, which is where Minnie melts is from Calgary, as a matter of fact, for everyone out there. Um, and he struck a deal with Minnie melts here in Calgary and he's now bringing Minnie melts and he's distributing them across the border into the U S. And so this this is where the war is going on right now, right? And so there's a big battle um, with who's going to sell the most and who can get into more places. Um, so currently, Dipping Knots is only in seven countries worldwide, where Mini Melts is actually serving 40 plus countries worldwide, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, and I don't know, what is what is your opinion on that? Which what's what do you like better? Do you like dipping dots oh, better or mini melts better? No, no, there's there's no question. <laughs> mini melts is hands down the better product. And I think that the only reason they're not more prevalent here, I don't say the only reason, there's probably a couple, but the one of the primary reasons they're not as prevalent here in the US is that Dippin just Dippin Dots just got in and got first to market and got market share. And they also built a nostalgia around the 80s and the 90s. And I remember growing up and always wanting Dippin Dots when I went to the water park. And not everybody, not, you know, I saw kids walking around with them and having them and like that always looked amazing. And so that's what I think of when I think of like space ice cream is the Dippin Dots. But, um, but the first time I had mini melts actually wasn't until, uh, until an attractions conference that I went to mm -hmm. and Charlie Hannah, who's still, you know, we, we know we, we're all, we all know good old Charlie. He was handing out free cups of mini melts. And I had one, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is way better. So, um, you know, I think it's only a matter of time. I think, um, before mini melts, uh, is, is, uh, able to, to take over at least from a quality standpoint, but they dip and dots, they kill it with their branding. Yeah, they do. Let's share this picture. I mean, I, I have to give them this. Like they they did a great job. This is um uh Frozetti the Yeti. And so he is their mascot. They've done a great job with it. They make their packaging fun and exciting and looks great. So yeah, I hope Mini Monks pulls up their socks a little bit uh, so they can, you know, be better prepared to go to this battle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it was a great coup for J and J. I mean, like think about all the venues that serve icy, right? So you if you serve icy and you're already buying your icy stuff from J and J. Well, now you might as well buy your Dippin' Dots and buy, you know, some of the other things that that uh, that J and J provides as well, um, mm -hmm. versus having a separate distributorship set up with Mini Melt. So, um, okay. anyway, great great coup for J and J and for Dippin' Dots for getting into you know with that distributor line. Yeah, and now I don't have numbers either on J and J, but their word on the street was that it turned their Q three earnings to be significantly positive. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, no question. Now, one of the things that they both do, which I like, uh, is that they're self-serve. So they both have like, I can have my mini melts vending machine, or I can put my dip and dots vending machine. And it's great because I can just throw them in different corners, make sure they're stocked up and they're generating revenue for me, um, without me having to attend, you know, put an attendant there. Well, one of the things that uh, is being tested now in six flags and actually I should say it's not even being tested. It's being rolled out, uh, because they, they just, um, six flags just 
converted their quick six concession. So if you've ever been to Six Flags, you're familiar with a quick six concession. I'll throw it up here. And they partnered with Amazon and they partnered with Coca-Cola because they needed a big you know, brand partner to work with them as well um, to uh, basically convert their quick six locations. And this is at their Magic Mountain location is the one it was just converted. And then their great adventure in New Jersey is where they had been doing the testing. And they had just they had just done that on Memorial Day weekend. So clearly it worked. And now they're rolling it out through other locations. And what this is, you may have heard of this before, but this is their their self-checkout at Amazon. And so you're using Amazon technology. So I can walk in, I basically swipe my credit card before I go in, I walk in, get whatever I want, and walk out. That's it. I don't have to talk to anybody. I have to, you know, there's, it can be unattended. I'm sure they have some security there just in case, like one, maybe one person kind of just monitoring the situation, especially early on. But the convenience factor as a guest and obviously the increased margin that we get by not having staff attend these concession spaces um, obviously goes up dramatically. So anyway, pretty cool to see this technology being rolled out now in theme parks. Um, I'm so curious about this. I haven't been in one myself. We have some here now in Calgary that I'll have to go check out or, you know, whenever we're around, but I, I want to know how it would work. Like, let's say you and I both walked in, we both scanned our credit card, went into one of these little stores and I picked up a chocolate bar and I broke it in half and I gave you half and I had half. And then we walked out who would actually get charged for the chocolate bar. Would it charge me? Cause I picked it up <laughs> first or would it charge us half because you got half and I got half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. And I've always wondered too, like, um, again, not having been in one before, like if I pick something up and I set it back down, I pick something up, set it back down, or I set yeah. it back down in a different spot, right? Maybe, you know, cause I've done that before. I've like grabbed a water bottle and I walk over, I'm like, Oh, I want something else instead. And I set that there and I grab that and I don't go put it back in the same place. Like how does some of that work? And I'm sure they've got all that tested. Uh, but that's just part of the experience. And mm-hmm. I can't wait to see more of this come, come into play. And like, Obviously, there's some expense in implementing this. Six Flags is doing it. But imagine once R&D gets far enough along and that pay down happens, that we can start seeing it being cost effective implement in FECs and other LBE venues for, you know, concessions and easy access stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, really, it's the the switch is already turned on because there's already people putting those robots in to flip burgers, make pizzas, do all those things. So it's the common Yep. Yep. Exactly. Right. My, my redemption store is no longer having to have an attendant. I can just swipe my, my inner card or embed card or whatever, walk in, get my redemption items and walk out. Like how amazing will that be, you know, from a redemption standpoint too. So mm-hmm. there's lots mm-hmm. of ways that it could be implemented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. Cool. Love it. All righty. Huh. All right. Well, that wraps up our, uh, our rundown on our daily show for today. So all you LBXers <laughs> out there, the CB and BW signing off, stay tuned and keep kicking ass. Later.